Amen. Well, this story is all about flourishing in a crisis. Flourishing in a crisis. A bit of the background before chapter 12, uh, we see the church in Jerusalem and in Antioch, it's growing. The church is growing and it's, it, it is flourishing. And now there are these outside forces that are coming down and uh, will, that will oppress the church. Now, even in the church's early history, as of this point, short history at this point, it's not the first time outside forces have come and sought to destroy what the church is going on. But in this particular situation, we have the political establishment. He gets one of the 12 disciples, who's James, the brother of John. He's one of the original 12 disciples. He arrests him and puts him to death, unjustly, mercilessly. And the religious establishment loves what the political establishment is doing because they're upholding the status quo. They're keeping things comfortable. They, they're, 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 they're um, afraid of the change that comes from when people follow Jesus. And so the religious and the polit- political establishment approve and uh, move forward with this atrocity of killing someone for following Jesus. And public figures are subject to public approval. And so Herod, who's this leader of the political establishment, he's like, well, the religious leaders liked it. Maybe I should continue doing it. So he continued persecuting people, and he finds Peter, who's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, the first church, the hub. He's kind of like the figurehead of the church. He gets Peter, throws him in prison. Now, the first thing that we learn from this story is that crises come upon everyone. No one is immune to suffering. Suffering will come upon us all. Your relationship with God does not shield you from suffering. Your relationship with money, your relationship with your career, your relationship with a good partner or a good friend, none of that shields you from suffering. It will always come. Suffering will always come. James, brother of John, was put to death. Peter, now he's in prison. This is the day before he's going to trial. What does he expect is going to happen? Peter, probably fully expecting he's going to be killed for following Jesus. Now, we don't always understand God's ways, even while we're being rescued. If you notice, while Peter's being rescued, he does not really understand what's going on. He's like, well, maybe it's uh, it's a vision, like he says in verse 9. I, 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 he can't process it. Some kind of angel is like giving this kind of miraculous escape. Now, we don't always understand God's ways, even while we're being rescued. And also, other people do not understand God's ways when there's rescuing going on. When Peter finally gets to the door, knocking on the church, basically he visits the church, and the church is probably praying for him to be released. And when he's there, knocking on the door, God's prayers, the prayers to God are being answered, people are still not believing, like, oh, it's not really him, it must be like some kind of apparition or something. So other people are not understanding, we're not understanding, clarity often comes after Verse 11 says, Now Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that I've been rescued by God. Basically, but that wasn't in the moment. It was after he was already rescued. So we're going to go through difficult times and we're not always going to understand how God is going to rescue us. We can rely on him to do that. But only after the fact do we get the kind of clarity that we really seek while we're in it. Uh, Behind me is a painting by Picasso called Guernica. And uh, it's a perfect depiction of a horrible suffering, of horrible crises that we go through. Nobody in this painting expected to be the subject of being bombed and being destroyed and being killed. And yet we find ourselves in these places all the time. When we're in a crisis, we shouldn't expect to understand everything. We should just not expect to. We may want to, and that's fine. And we can search after those things. But we're never going to understand everything. God uses that process 
that lack of clarity, that um, lack of understanding, that neediness that we have as humans, God uses that process to build trust. When we are confronted with difficulties outside of our control, we have the option of pressing more into God. We also have the option of running away from him, of, of going to all sorts of other places. But just going through difficulties does not guarantee your life will get better just because you go through the suffering. But it has the potential for us to go deeper with more meaningful things. It goes deeper into, into our souls, into who we are, into our true identities. So everyone is guaranteed to go through a crisis. Everyone is guaranteed to go through suffering. We're in suffering now. More suffering will come. But only those who press into God while suffering will grow in a way that will lead us to flourish. We'll talk about flourishing in a bit. So the first point, no one is immune to crises. Crises will always come. Second point, crises bring out what's already inside. Suffering has this way of like squeezing out what's already inside of us and brings it up to the forefront. It kind of boils up. It boils over. And what we see in this story in Acts 12, we see kind of two lives. We see Peter and Herod. Herod lives this self-focused kind of life. He, uh, he lives for himself. Anything we get is for ourselves. That's what the self-focused life is about. We depend on ourselves in a self-focused life. Now, and to our, if, if we depend on ourselves, if, it's a, if we're living a self-focused life, we will, like Herod, perpetuate injustice in some ways. We will jail Christians when we shouldn't. Of course, none of us are actually jailing Christians, but all of us are going to use other people for our own good, or we'll use our own good things that we do to make ourselves look better first. We will use up others for our own means. So if others don't kind of fall along with this program, like the jailers here, they messed up. They let Peter go. I mean, how could the jailers compete with an angel? But that's something completely different. The people who don't kind of follow through on, on the, the expectations that we have for them, there's no room for grace. These people are um, they're interrogated and then they're executed. These jailers, they're, like, no fault of their own. There's no space for failure in a self-focused life. Because failure in a self-focused life is a failure of self, and we can't handle that. So there's no room for failure. Unlike Peter, who we'll talk, to in a mo- talk about in a moment here, Peter failed God massively in his greatest time of need. When Jesus was being, um, was being interrogated, was being flogged, he denied even knowing him, and yet there was still grace for Peter to come back. There was still room for Peter to come back. Not so in a self-focused life. In a self-focused life, even when we do good, there might be glory. We, we might get glory. We might get the cool car or the cool stuff or, you know, the recognition or the popularity, whatever the thing is. We might get those things, but it will be passing. Those worldly things will be passing because death comes to us all. And as it, says, it speaks very vividly, immediately Herod died and was eaten by worms. Like right then, like did the worms like all of a sudden come out? Now, eventually, we're all going to disintegrate. We're all going, to, our bodies will decay. All of us are going towards it. It's all this entropic doom, this chaos that we're all headed towards. A self-focused life in light of that is a very small way to live. Very small way to live. It's not generous. There's no room for generosity. Or if we are generous, it's like in very small ways. So there's a self-focused life. Then there's a God-focused life. God, and the God-focused life, God empowers us to seek others' good at our own expense. So Peter was freed from from this jail. He should have left the city. He should have left Jerusalem. 
But what does he do? He goes to the church. He knows the church is praying for him. And so he went to the church. He could have left there and sought his own good. Paul, in, in previous chapter, uh, people were trying to kill Paul. What does he do? He goes off to uh, like another country altogether, another kind of another region. But Peter is, is staying there um, to because he uh, cares about other people in the church. And he wants other people to know what has happened. And it also, um, a God-focused life seeks others' good. Verse 5, the church is earnestly praying for Peter. The, uh, Peter being un, uh, unjustly imprisoned is a burden upon them because they're so connected to him. And so not only are they trying to help maybe on a human level, but they're also trying to help not just on that horizontal level, but on the vertical level, talking to God and asking him to come through. And in verse 12, while Peter's knocking on the door, the church is together. They're praying, probably for Peter as he's stuck in prison. In a God-focused life, victories belong to the Lord, not to us. And that wonderful truth allows us to stay humble even when we're part of something great, even when we're part of something amazing. Peter didn't free himself. He didn't get, give himself the glory. He didn't even really know what was going on if he was honest with himself. He gives God the glory. God gets the victory. God gets, gets, gets the glory. In verse 11, says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping to happen. It was because God was at work. And this is good for us, because sometimes if we do something great, we kind of think ourselves, yeah, I was pretty good. That was, I was pretty good at that, wasn't I? Yeah. But what if we could be part of something great and not be prideful all the time? That's what a God-focused life is about. Living and in, 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 in being part of great things, but also being able to stay humble because we know, actually, it's all God working through us. It's not us working ourselves. And when we live a God-focused life, we want other people to hear the story. In verse 17, it said, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. They're probably all freaking out like, oh my gosh, Peter, you're free. How in the world? And he described how the Lord brought him out to prison which must have been amazing. Maybe they were like in disbelief. Maybe they were like, I don't really believe that, Peter, but okay. But then what does Peter say? He says, tell James and all the other brothers and sisters about this. He says, tell, tell the other, other people have to hear about how great God is, how amazing God is, and how he rescued me. There is a desire to have others in on this amazing relationship, this amazing rescue that we who follow Jesus get to have. We are freed. We want others to experience freedom. We're not be held to the status quo. We don't have to live that self-focused life. We're, that's such a weight for us to be under. We're not beheld to that, but we get to be part of a rebellion focused on love, focused on God. A rebellion that for us, we were previously dead, now we're alive. And calling others who are dead to a new life. Not because we're great, not because we can do it, but because God is great and God is doing it. And this is flourishing. This is what flourishing looks like. The religious establishment, the political establishment, they're trying to keep the church down. They're trying to put people in prison. And it's not working. And even if he was in prison, flourishing looks like still coming to God with it. With all the good stuff and the bad stuff coming to God with all that we have. Notice, this doesn't look amazing on the outside. What did flourishing for the church look like? It just looked like prayer. That's pretty normal. It actually may not be as normal a practice as it ought to be. The church together praying for God to work in miraculous ways. That would change the world if we did more of that. And Peter talking. The church was praying. Peter was talking. Peter told his story. The church was praying. That's really all it is. Telling our stories, praying to God. 
That's what flourishing looks like. So it may not look amazing on the outside, but it is what it looks like. And that's what, that's what gives us meaning in the daily life, the ups and downs, the troughs, the valleys, as well as the mountaintops. Now, what is amazing, though, on the outside is God's rescue. Lest us talk about this story and completely gloss over this kind of weird and crazy way that God rescued Peter. How, how do we get this God-focused life? Well, God rescues us. That's the third point. We're going to talk about God's miraculous liberation because God rescues us. Even when praying and hoping to be delivered, God does so in ways that are beyond our prayers. He does so sometimes that's beyond our dreams, beyond our hopes. God loves to do stuff like that. First, this happens in Peter's circumstance. So Peter experienced this liberation from his difficult circumstance, and that's amazing, right? Like literal chains coming off his hands. Outside crises will come to all, and God empowers his daughters and his sons to go through difficult times in a different way when we're connected to him. Because we have God himself in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And that changes how we go through life, how we go through all kinds of aspects of our lives. But as amazing as this story is, and it is, it's very small compared to being liberated from the prisons in our hearts, from all that imprisons us spiritually, from all that our souls kind of long for that are really not worth the longing for of our souls. Now, changes in circumstances are welcome, and we should pray for that. We should work towards that. That's another thing that this chapter teaches us. But also, really, what we need, desperately, more than a change in our circumstance, is a change in our identity. A self-focused life cannot, if we're focused on ourselves, we cannot help but live a self-focused life. And only if God changes our identity, changes who we are, gives us new hearts, does it, can, he, can we possibly think of allowing to join him on the mission that he has in this world, to bring wholeness to everybody. We need a change in who we are in order to do that. We come into this world with chains. We come into this world in darkness. We come into this world unable to help others in the way they really need change. We can help in small ways, yes, of course, and we should continue to do that. But the real deep work of seeing other people's hearts change, renewed, reborn, made into a new creation, that's something only God can do and something that we all desperately need. Now, Peter experienced that ultimate kind of liberation more than his circumstance. And it's because he experienced that internal change. That is what allows him to live in this better way. That's what allows him to live in this kind of otherworldly, supernatural way when outside forces and pressures are kind of coming down on him because it all starts with the heart. So yes, there, were, there was a miraculous liberation in Peter's life circumstances. There's also a miraculous liberation in Peter's life. Well, stop. Not just his life circumstances, but his life. Now, Peter's background, he's a failure. He's a complete failure. There's a book that, um, that Colin has uh, that, that we read with him, basically all about how Peter talks first, acts first, asks questions later. That, that's, that's who Peter is. And he denied Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. He denied him, literally was able to see him and still denied him to save a little bit of his own skin. That's Peter's background. But God did not stop there because God calls everybody. Jesus changed Peter's life. He gave him a new heart. He gave him a new mission in life, saved from his small, tiny little mission, self-focused mission, to this God-sized grand mission of being a part of something global, being a part of something uh, um, that, w- that would go throughout history. 
And this kind of change is for all, not just for Peter, but for all of us. Everybody, every single person who's watching this, who's listening to this, who has maybe come by this randomly, or maybe your friend sent it to you and now you've been guilted into watching it, whatever the thing might be, this is for you. These are God's words to you. The cri- look, crises are going to come to everyone. Everyone's going to go through suffering. That's true. And God's gates are open for everyone as well. Everybody can get in on this. If you're going to experience difficult times, why do it alone? If you're going to experience suffering and God wants to be a part of that, why would you not want him to help you go through it? Why would you not want him to change you into a better person? Why would you not want him to to give you something that you're missing out on? It's like if someone offers me chocolate cake, I'm going to eat the chocolate cake. Now, I might need to run or something afterwards to work the calories off. But what God offers is something so much better than a chocolate cake. Why say no to the chocolate cake? Well, there's probably a few good reasons why. But why say no to God? There are no good reasons why we should say no to God. None. Except there are lots of bad reasons. There are no good reasons to say that. So why not be with God if we're going to go through difficult times? So a self-focused life leads to death. A God-focused life leads to a generative love, a love that, that keeps on going, a love that keeps on giving, even when it's really difficult to give. Verse 24 is just as true for us today as it was for the church there in Acts, in Acts chapter 12. It says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The word of God continued to spread, continued to flourish. In a pandemic, the word of God continues to spread and to flourish. When you are depressed, the word of God continues to spread and to flourish. When you feel like you have nobody and nobody knows you and you don't know anybody, or maybe you know loads of people and no one knows who you are, the word of God will continue to spread and to flourish. Do you want to get in on this? Because as you do, by in on this, I mean talking about the church, talking about your, your life being connected to Jesus. And for those of us who do follow Jesus, for those who are part of this church, how can we get in on this even more? How can we press more into this? Do you want to get in on this? It's open to everybody. God does not, does, never turns away anybody. And we can flourish because Jesus has rescued us. That's how we can flourish. This not only empowers us to live differently in a crisis, it allows us to be united to God. That's such a bigger thing. We might be looking to alleviate maybe um, uh, discomforts right now. But what's going to happen five years from now? We're going to have the same problem with God that we have now. Let's be united to him. And for those who are united to him, let's grow in understanding what our identity is as we're united to him. I was, um, Christina, my wife, um, had what we assume was probably coronavirus. And so we had to isolate in our house. Me and my son had to isolate from her for a bit, uh, just to, you know, for safety and health measures, things like that. Now being isolated from my wife in my own house, it was unnatural. It was not fun. It was not enjoyable. Like I slept in a, a different room. We, um, I had to prepare all the food and she couldn't touch things. We tried to minimize that as much as possible. Now, some of you know a lot more about this than I do because you live with people that you've had to self-isolate with because you, you're on the front lines, you're working and you're helping out. So thank you so much for having to live through this kind of really difficult stuff. So some of you, I, I know I'm speaking from probably maybe the least experience here, but being isolated from my wife is not a natural way to live. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Now, if that's true for my wife, what about the God who made me, who created me, who loves me, 
my wife loves me, but God loves me so much more with such a, a bigger, more massive, more powerful effect of love. Being disconnected and isolated from that is the most unnatural thing ever. Because we, as his creation, were made to be connected to him in all things. We were, ma- And that is what may- allows us to flourish, being connected to a spring. So it allows, us to, it allows the river, the brook, to flow. That's what it means when we connect our lives to God. And if we're not connected to him, if we're living in isolation from him, we're disconnected from life. That spring of life it will be there. It will bubble over. But we've kind of diverted our, our route to go somewhere else. And if we're not finding life, or finding death. The way that we get to be connected to that life that we were made for, that we were created to be, is through Jesus. Jesus has made this happen. His death and his resurrection destroyed the barrier between us and to God that was previously cutting off that life. Jesus destroyed that barrier, and now that, that life is able to flow freely. And Jesus is the one who took off our chains of our souls, of our minds, of our lives, and and gives us a new life, gives us a new direction, a new way to live. That's why if you follow Jesus, before you do anything, you get a new identity. You are a new person. Elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about how we're made as new creations. Or it also talks about um, becoming a Christian as a process of being reborn or being born again. Basically, you become a new person. As a daughter or son of the king, we get his spirit within us. God himself residing in us. The fountain of life within us. He's always there, empowering us to flourish in difficult situations. That means we are never far from God. Those of us who follow Jesus, God is literally with us. Those of you who don't follow Jesus yet, you're not as far off as you think. We can take him with us wherever we go. We can take God. You have to follow Jesus. You have to be part of this thing. But we can take him with us to work. You're not there on your own. God is there. When you're locked home with your family, you're not alone. God is there. When you go out and do something fun, like a hobby, or you know, go out for the hour of prescribed exercise during the day, you're not doing that by yourself. God is there. With When all the previous comforts have left you, they're like deadbeat dads. All those other comforts that we relied on, whether it was like uh, Netflix or careers, all those other kind of things, they're not really giving us the comfort and meaning that we really got from it before because they've left. They've up and gone. They're far too small and not powerful enough to get us through difficult times. When all those previous comforts have acted like the deadbeat dads that they are and have left us orphaned and stranded, God is there. He's still there. And the God who is there smiles on you. He loves you. Why would you ever keep yourself away from him? Why would you try and divert yourself away from the life that he wants to give you, from the meaning he wants to give you, from the love that will be given to you and will overflow into the other relationships that you have? He's overjoyed with you before you do anything. Following Jesus does not mean um, we're going to be immune to difficulty. We will go through difficult times, just like everybody. But it does mean that when a crisis comes, And more will come. This is not the last crisis for us. More crises will come. It means when we go through those things, we have the Holy Spirit, God himself, within us, 
empowering us, and allowing us to flourish, even when it's difficult. We get to flourish, crisis or not. So let's not waste this pandemic, and let's lean less on ourselves and more on him. The more we do that, the more we will find that we can actually flourish in these difficult times. The more we do that, the more we'll find peace when it's difficult to find it. The more we'll find hope when it's difficult to find it. Acts 12 teaches us that through Jesus, his church will be able to flourish. And his church is not a building. His church is not an event. His church is a set of relationships of people who know each other and are known by each other. And what we get to be a part of is the word of God spreading, flourishing, advancing, pandemic or not. So let's all come to Jesus. Let's, and if you know him, let's lean more into that. Let's lean more into our relationships. What does it look like? How can we be praying for each other? Maybe we're already doing that. Let's keep it going. For those who don't know Jesus yet, this can be for you. Why would you separate yourself from all of the love that God wants to give you? Let's pray to him.